Welcome to the bullpen. She's back in the bullpen today. We have Miss Hannah Cox, brand ambassador, Fee Online, F E E Online, host of Base, fellow AFB Virginia, conservative, libertarian, conservative writer, activist, and commentator. Actually, very smart individual. Miss Cox, good to have you on the show. How are you? Good to see you, Dr. Rishi. Thank you for the nice words. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about January 6th, the committee hearing. I have a lot of mixed feelings about the nature of the hearing. I think it is necessary, but I also believe it's performative and political. I think all of those truths coexist. Mm -hmm. But there's an interesting poll that came out just yesterday because initially it seemed as if many Americans wanted to move away from the January 6th thing. And then they started presenting information. They started presenting actual testimony. And the majority of it comes from conservatives. Now, a poll that was done yesterday shows, here's the new numbers, that more than 60%, 64% to be exact, 64% of Americans now believe that the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol was planned rather than spontaneous. That is a difference in the polling data. Another poll also showed that six out of 10 Americans believe that Trump was either somewhat or wholly responsible. And also 49% of Republicans believe that it was planned rather than spontaneous, which is an increase as well. So it seems as if the public profile dynamic of the January 6th committee hearing is somewhat working, is moving the needle of public perception, which is part of their plan. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about this hearing. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Sure, well, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I have mixed emotions on it. To be honest, when it first began, I felt like it was sort of political in nature. It was meant to kind of rile up the base against Republicans leading into the midterms. I thought we pretty much already knew most of what there was to know about this. And given the multiple other very pressing issues we face as a country right now, it seemed like a bit of a waste of time and resources. But I would put myself sort of in this camp where I'm loosely following it. You know, it's not my top issue by any means, but I've been keeping track. And I think there has been some interesting information coming out. And one thing I am particularly concerned about and that I've been concerned about is that I believe Trump committed fraud against his own voters. And I said this from the very beginning when he was trying to fundraise and say, give us this money for legal action. We're going to go in and prove the election was stolen. There was never any evidence that the election was stolen. And he knew that. And even when I read the actual briefs of what they were filing in courts, they weren't even trying to argue that right in an actual legal courtroom. They wouldn't dare because they would perjure themselves. But he was going out and pushing this falsehood and fundraising millions of dollars all the pretty vulnerable people, I think. And I think that that's worth investigating and knowing about. I also do strongly believe that if this was planned and organized, and if Trump was actually the catalyst behind it, that's also really important for the American people to know. I will be the first to say that during that time period in our country, I was working for a left-wing think tank. I was doing criminal justice reform. And my colleagues kept saying to me, do you think he's gonna try to not leave office? What do you think is gonna happen? And I was like, what What would he possibly do? Of course he's gonna leave office. you know." And I was dead wrong on that. I never, I never thought as crazy as he was that that would end up happening, and and it did. And I think that if there was an actual attempt to have a coup in our country, yeah. then we absolutely need to know about it. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't like Liz Cheney. I'll be totally honest about that. Okay. I feel like she's a warmonger. She's a neocon, and the only issue she has with Trump is that he was anti-war. Had he been exactly who he is, 
but pro-war, she'd have no issue with them. So I find her disingenuous. That's been a bit of a turnoff to me with her leading yeah. this. But as a whole, I, I think it's a valuable information seeking. I think people deserve to know the truth. And for me, I really hate what Trump did to the right. I hate nationalism. I hate populism. I truly believe in free market capitalism and limited government and individual liberty. And I think he was an enemy towards those things. And so I am hopeful that people become more aware of the con artist that I believe that he was and that that hopefully propels the right back towards more of a principled stance on these topics and away from his brand of republicanism, which I thought was just devoid of any actual principles whatsoever. You bring up some interesting points. So let me first start with um, Trump committing fraud. I agree with you, but I think he's been committing fraud for a very long time. Uh, I think a lot of what he did, even predating him becoming president, um, was fraudulent in character and fraudulent ethically. So he carries on this leadership style to the presidency because he's not held accountable to it. And then he carries it beyond the presidency because once again, he's not held accountable for the criminal activity of, of fraud. Here's a dynamic, and I've been following this, and I have already counted, Ms. Cox, 11 separate and independent ways they tried to overthrow the election. Like literally, these were different operations all happening at the same time. Now, democracy stood, barely, but it stood. Now, here's a question I have for you. And this is kind of an academic question about policy and politics. We all know now that we probably should not have the entire presidential election come down to the signature of a vice president, no matter what party is in power. We know that now. And I know people like to talk about how the framers of the Constitution are so, were so smart and brilliant. Well, they they effed up on that one. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that, they effed up in a few ways. So yeah, there you I go. Have a good sure. conversation there. <laughs> there you go. So, and here's my beef with many of the institutional Democrats. We we all said, okay, listen, this is a bad thing. This shouldn't be. Hell, we got a report that Mike Pence called Dan Quayle and basically said, hey, Dan. Am I able to do this or not? Dan was like, you got to step away from it. Listen to the parliamentarian. You do not have power here, Pence. This is not what you want to do. But it exposed how fragile democracy is. Why do you think that Democrats and Democrats and Republicans who were more of the sense of protecting democracy, at least in the beginning of this thing, why do you think they never came together in order to remedy those dynamics of the Constitution so we did not have this crisis in the future? Well, I think to be totally frank, from my observations, the GOP was still very much in the grip of Donald Trump following January 6th. And I would say that that really maintained itself for quite some time. I think it took a little bit of time for the actual information to get in front of his supporters and for them to start to recognize there was an issue. I will say, and this is anecdotal, but in my experience after January 6th, there was a change in temperature that started where people who were fine, who didn't really like Trump as a person, who thought he was kind of crazy, but were fine because they thought he was better economically for them, started to back away from that and started to say there might be real issues here. This might have crossed a line. But I think it often takes people a long time to admit when they're wrong. And I think it can take some time for people to fully get the information and facts because of the kind of algorithm bubbles that we all live in, right? Where they're seeing very different information than what I might be seeing, than what you might be seeing in their newsfeed. So I think that it took a little time. And I also think we're now at a point where I don't think the GOP is totally rid itself of Trump or totally backed away from it. But I do think they're at a point where they recognize he's a loser 
that he's a losing candidate for them. And they're starting to look for other people who maybe have some similar characteristics or stances, but who they believe are more popular, more able of bringing people together. So I think we're just now at this point where we could actually maybe have a conversation about some things that could change, some better protocols that could be put into place. And I think that that's something that people should be looking at on the right, because if somebody could on in a Republican party could do this and come this close to getting you know their vice president to do something like that, well, that could easily happen on the left as well, right? These are very obvious problems that I think we should turn our attention to. Again, I think the fraud issue needs to be answered. And I and I hope that as a whole, as these hearings are going forward, it makes the American people really step back and recognize a key factor, which is that power is corrupting. Yep. Power will always be corrupting. It doesn't matter how good of a person gets into office, it will corrupt them if there are not checks and balances on that power. That's why I believe in limited government. There has to be constraints. And I think a lot of the ways the founders messed up is in not actually putting enough restraints on politicians, on the government, on keeping them out of our daily lives, out of our economic lives, and in ensuring that that they were actually beholden to the Constitution and to the democratic checks and balances that are written in it. And they even said themselves, if there comes to be a time where this is no longer working, where this is not going as planned as we hope it does, start over, try again, redo it. You know, We have a process even to come forward and have new amendments added. The problem I'm seeing right now is that our legislature has broken down to such an extent that they're not even passing any bills, right? They barely get anything done. The lawmakers hardly get to read the bills when they do go to vote. And we really are not having these kinds of um, representative uh, actual leaders speaking up on our behalf and trying to fix things in the system. They're mostly just trying to get on TV and get clicks. And so we've got to do something about the two party system that incentivizes that. We've got to do something about the money in politics that incentivizes that. These are really very big root problem issues in our system that I think is where we need to start. It's, it's much more than just the vice president being able to sign off on, on who's careful, president. Careful, you're starting <laughs> to sound like a progressive here, Ms. Cox. Okay, Let, let's, I know, and, and that's why I tell people I can rock with libertarians because you all have actual integrity about what you believe and you're thoughtful about it, even if I disagree with you on some policy dynamics. Let's go to the problem I have with the January 6th uh, committee. I wanted them to really investigate everything that happened. I did not want them to play this institutional game. I think it's really important that not only we know all that happened, but we hold people accountable. So I saw the writing on the wall when they started saying things like, well, we won't make any recommendations to the DOJ. But wait a minute, if you see criminal activity, follow it where it should go. And then I saw the second writing on the wall when they said, well, we're gonna send a letter for this person, but we'll subpoena all these people. Wait a minute, so you're gonna send, you, you're gonna send a request when you have the ability to send a demand. What kind of games are you playing here? And I realized, as the hearings continued, which by the way are necessary. They are completely necessary. But I realized more and more, this was more about winning the midterm election than actually holding people accountable. And here's the problem with that, Ms. Cox. They're playing checkers, okay? This is a chess match. If you don't set yourself up for the ultimate play later, this is going to happen again. You're gonna be here again because you played around when you should have been making strategic moves in order to ensure that this did not happen in the future. I don't want this to happen on the left or the right. I, I hate the two party system, it's a system that we currently kind of have at the moment. But I don't want this to happen again. Ms. Cox, Trump's power is still there. Now granted, it's been slipping. He endorsed uh, Purdue uh, for governor, he lost that one. He endorsed Vernon Jones. But Congress, he lost that one. 
but he still has significant fundraising power. He still has significant power over the people that make decisions about laws, such as Mitch McConnell. His power is still there. This election cycle will still be Trump heavy. Do you not agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm in Georgia too, so I've been watching some of this go down, and I have yeah. thought it was interesting that his the, his endorsement doesn't seem to carry as much weight as they were hoping it would. But That's what right. I but on the other hand. It's not that the people who've won have been running away from Trump, right? So it's not that there's no problem. Brian Kemp became governor, but he's still running very pro-Trump, even though Trump endorsed his competitor. And so I think that when it comes to Trump's influence, the biggest problem I have is that his policies are still popular, right? We can get rid of the man himself, but if the, mm -hmm. if the party is still trying to follow in his footsteps and appeal to, I think, demography, which is what he was pushing through his nationalist populist kind of views, that's a bigger long-term problem. And so, yeah, I think that you're right. There does need to be accountability. We we do need to see some real teeth to this. I think the American people are sick and tired of the charade. We're so tired of the two-party system coming out here and acting like they're, you know, beating up on each other and that they're going to really come in and put yeah. people hold them to account. And then really behind the scenes, they're going to dinner together, and we know it. And and they mm -hmm. really continue to vote together on the big things that matter and that hurt us, like war, like corporate welfare. And I think people are fed up. And I, and I think that I hope what people take from that is that we have to rise up and we have to start really demanding that kind of accountability. And if they're not doing it, we have to get rid of these people and and try to find people who will actually seriously work to restrain the government and seriously work to get it out of our way because ultimately this hurts people. It's real people's lives on the line. And I think that it's something people should be really upset about. Regardless of political persuasion, when you're dealing with authentic people, you can get something done. When you're dealing with people who are not authentic, but they are typically connected to a power dynamic or they're connected to a position or institution, they are not going to make authentic decisions. They are going to want you to think they're being authentic in the process. And you know this, Ms. Cox, people have been fed up with the two-party system for a long time. That's why you have Tea Party movements. That's why you have libertarians. That's why you have progressives. That's why you have the Green Party, the Independent Party. And the like, people have always been fed up with this two-party system. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, always a sharp conversation with you, Ms. Cox. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here, Dr. Rishi.